You are listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host, Pastor Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I want to give you a warning that this is going to be somewhat of a rant. I have not been on... Um, a standalone podcast in a long time. There's just so many ministry obligations that I have related to uh, just my church and then also teaching at the at the college and also just being a, a dad and a husband. And so as the summertime approaches, it gives me an opportunity to come in and record some things that aren't related to just the Sunday morning sermons or my Wednesday night teachings. And so if you have benefited from understanding Christianity, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and give us a positive review and rating. The more positive reviews we have, the more that the podcast gets out there. Share this on your social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, places you like to go and get the word out. Well, this podcast is mainly going to be geared towards those of my listeners who are Southern Baptist. I know that many of my listeners are not, but just to let you know, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant evangelical denomination, and what happens within the SBC has a ripple effect to the rest of of evangelicalism, especially in America. And so what I want to do in this podcast is just really kind of gear up for less than a month away is the SBC annual meeting in Anaheim, California. I am planning on attending, and I just want to lay my cards out up front. I am planning on voting wholeheartedly for Vody Bauckham as the president of the Pastors Conference and for Tom Askell as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, that's where, where, where I think we need to go. And so in this podcast, I'm going to address some of the issues of what we as a church have struggled with in continuing to be in the SBC. I want to talk to you why I think Tom Askell is the best choice for president and just kind of unpack some of the thoughts that I've had percolating really over the past three or four years. And so this is not going to be so much of a Bible study. This is more just going to be um, what we as elders and what we as Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado have gone through over the past three or four years and, and understanding a lot of the issues that are going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so this may be helpful for you if you are a listener that's Southern Baptist, or even if you're not, just to know what's going on. Because these same issues are also happening in the PCA, which is kind of a sister denomination to the SBC, especially among those of us who are Reformed and are conservative evangelicals. Well, let me just kind of back up um, and, and tell you kind of where this all started. Uh, Basically, I've been going to the Together for the Gospel conferences all the way back in 2006. I actually went to the very first T4G back when it was in the ballroom at the Galt House, and there was maybe about two or 3,000 of us there, and I got to sit on the front row right behind R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and John Piper, and it, it was a wonderful opportunity back in 2006, and then I went to every single T4G, except for, sadly, I wasn't able to go to this very last one that happened just a few weeks ago. Um, I wasn't able to go to that one. But back in 2018 is when all of these things started to kind of percolate and, and kind of come to the surface. Um, in the spring of 2018, the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, otherwise known as the ERLC, 
of the Southern Baptist Convention hosted a MLK 50th anniversary, a Martin Luther King Jr. 50th anniversary conference panel. And it was during that that some of the issues related to critical race theory, racial reconciliation, some of those issues started coming to the forefront. And, and I'm going to mention names. I think Russell Moore is number one single-handedly responsible for most of the damage in the SBC. I think if history looks back upon the SBC and if it goes down a, a a liberal trajectory, a progressive trajectory, I think you can lay it at the feet of, of Russell Moore, who at that time was the president or the director of the ERLC. And so it was at that conference that there started to be some dialogue where kind of critical race theory and some of these issues kind of started coming to the surface. And then um, the 2018 Together for the Gospel Conference, um, I was there and David Platt gave a message about racial reconciliation, and he was talking about white guilt and white privilege, and it just didn't sit right with me. And so afterwards, I remember talking to, I was there with one of my really, really close missionary friends, as well as um, a couple of our elders, and we were just kind of debriefing, and we were just talking, and I remember standing outside the Galt House, getting ready to um, to kind of go to dinner, right, right there downtown Louisville, and just talking about how that just did not sit right. There just seemed to be something off about David Platt's message. We weren't quite sure what it was, but it seemed like he was introducing some critical race theory ideology in his, his message. And so over the, the course of that year, 2018, uh, 2019, uh, is when really it hit ahead. Um, in 2019, the SBC adopted in Birmingham, Alabama, the messengers adopted what has famously been called resolution, Reso, revelation, resolution 9. A resolution 9 affirmed critical race theory and intersectionality as, quote, helpful analytical tools. Now, how the the resolutions committee did this number one they bundled a bunch of resolutions at the very end of the annual meeting where most people kind of check out a lot of people leave early a lot of times you know you you vote on resolutions one by one as opposed to bundling them all together so I'm not trying to say there was malicious intent but the way they went about doing it was to kind of cram it through at the end so it would go under the radar thankfully at that time Tom Askell did stand up and say, now wait a minute, this is an ungodly, uh, critical race theory is an ungodly tool. It's not an analytical tool. It's, it's antithetical to the gospel. It comes from Marxist theology. That This is not, why, why are we adopting this? And so Curtis Woods, who's African American, who was the, the um, chairman of the resolutions committee, basically made a statement saying, we're, you know, this is not critical race theory. We're not affirming it. We're just saying it's a good analytical tool. So in 2019, most of the messengers at that time didn't really understand what critical race theory, what intersectionality was, but it was adopted by the resolutions committee, brought it forward, and the SBC messengers at the 2019 Birmingham convention passed resolution 9 which basically opened the door for critical race theory and intersectionality to be discussed, to be taught, to be, to be bantered about within the denomination. It was kind of like a gateway drug. Um, the Resolution 9 being passed was kind of like, okay, the floodgates were open. Now this can be introduced, not secretly, not behind the scenes, but we can start using this as an analytical tool to give it credence. 
Well, we were very concerned as a church with the direction that the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission was going. And so in 2019, we as a church voted to not give any money of our cooperative program giving to go to ERLC. So we wrote a letter to our state convention. We, we, uh, if you don't understand how the cooperative program works, churches in the Southern Baptist Convention voluntarily give a portion of their budget money to the cooperative program. Now that goes through the state convention. And so we are Colorado Baptists. We affiliate with the Colorado Baptist General Convention. So we give our, our money through the Colorado Convention. The Colorado Convention keeps a large portion of that, and the rest of that is sent on to the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it's divvied up among North American Mission Board, International Mission Board, Guidestone, which is the retirement um, arm of the SBC, all of the six seminaries, and then the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. So we wrote a letter to our state convention and to the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention basically saying, we do not agree with the direction of the ERLC. We do not agree with Russell Moore's leadership. We think it's going in a progressive liberal drift. And so therefore, we do not want any of our money designated or going towards the ERLC. So we made that decision as a church in 2019. Now, we got a little bit of pushback from our state convention, but we're an autonomous church, so we can pretty much do whatever we want. And so we, we can give however we want to give. And so that was the decision we made as a church. We did not want one dime of our money going towards ERLC with Russell Moore's leadership. Okay, come to 2020. Everybody knows what happened in 2020. March of 2020, COVID hit, pretty much uh, shut everything down. Okay, so in 2020, we were supposed to meet for the annual meeting, and everybody was hoping uh, that we would be able to have a meeting in January or in June of 2020. Obviously, that didn't happen because of COVID. And so that allowed this Resolution 9 to kind of sit out there an extra year and not be addressed. It allowed J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, another year as president, kind of unprecedented. So he had three years um, of being the president of the convention. J.D. Greer has some progressive views related to homosexuality. He um, appointed a lot of progressives and people sympathetic with this whole movement into positions of leadership. And so really, COVID kind of exposed or put on hold a lot of angst and apprehension that we Southern Baptists had in addressing critical race theory because we really wanted to come back and we wanted to definitively state where we stand on this CRT intersectionality that was passed in the 2019 annual meeting in Birmingham. And one of the things that was very frustrating to me, we had already decided to kind of cut ties with ERLC, but just looking at the sidelines, um, it, it was very frustrating. Could we as a church... Um, were not helped at all by the Southern Baptist elites in how to deal with uh, lockdowns, dealing with our governor. Uh, we're in a blue state, uh, dealing with all of the issues related to should we open, should we not. And so I did not get any help at all from the Southern Baptist Convention in helping us as a church. Most of our help came from, sadly, um, Calvary Chapel churches. <laughs> the Calvary Chapel churches and John MacArthur's church, non-SBC churches, were more bold, were more um, 
biblical and thinking about our relationship to the state. And so after about nine weeks, we opened up full-blown in, on, on May 31st of 2020. And so, you know, we were being told by the ERLC and the SBC elites that we had to you know, love your neighbor, you had to wear a mask and all this kind of stuff. And so we were not helped at all by our denomination in opening up or understanding how our church related. So I did a lot of research on my own, and we as a church drafted a document, um, a theological, political, constitutional document on our rationale for opening up and why we were defying the mandates of our governor and things like that. And so it just seemed like... We were out here in rural northeastern Colorado. We're about 120, 130 miles away from Denver. So if you know anything about Colorado, it's called the Front Range. Okay, the Front Range, there, there's a mountain range. The, 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 um, <laughs> the mountains are, are kind of cut the, the state in half, and the Front Range is just what we call east to the mountains. It, it's I-25. You've got from the north Fort Collins going all the way down. You've got Fort Collins, Denver, Colorado Springs, and Pueblo. And so down that I-25 corridor, they call it the Front Range, is the urban area of Colorado. It's more liberal. Um, it's more urban. And so we're about 120, 150 miles northeast of that, and we're in a rural farming community, um, a rural ranching and farming community, oil fields. Um, we, we do have a junior college out here. We have a large prison. Um, and so our culture out here is a whole lot different than the, the urban kind of progressive culture that's in Denver and, and Fort Collins. And so out here, we did not feel like we got any help from the Southern Baptist Convention on a national level on how to deal with all of this type of stuff. And so there's just kind of a COVID kind of put a lot of angst in, in how we dealt with um, our denomination, understanding things. And then finally, last year, 2021, there was the convention in Nashville. And everybody was expecting to come to Nashville. It was the largest attended in a long time, about 15,000 messengers. Um, I had heard people coming. You know, I, I did a lot of traveling last year. I, I did a, pa- a preaching conference in, in Tennessee. I had gone to Orlando to the Ligonier Conference. And so I, I have relationships all around the country. And I had pastors saying, that, man, we're really geared up to go to Nashville to kind of, you know, vote for a, a conservative president to put um, critical race theory to bed and and renounce what we did with the 2019 Resolution 9. And so um, everything was was gearing up towards going to the 2021 convention in Nashville to kind of deal with these things that have been put on hold during COVID. Well, in the fall of, or actually in July of 2020, a very prominent black church planner in Atlanta, and he was a writer for Nine Marks Ministries. Uh, basically, he left the SBC, and he basically said the reason we're leaving the SBC is because it is a denomination of white privilege and systemic racism. Now, his church plant received over $100,000 from the North American Mission Board, and yet they decided to basically leave the SBC because they did, did not see it going in any good direction. It was systemically racist, white privilege. And so you kind of had some African-American churches withdrawing partnership with the SBC. Then in November of 2020, all six seminary presidents released a joint statement on the incompatibility of critical race theory with the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And so the statement declares that 
They condemn racism in any form. The seminaries agree that, quote, this is what their statement was, affirmation of critical race theory, intersectionality, and any version of critical theory is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message. And I was very happy about that. Six seminary professors came out and said, listen, this whole CRT intersectionality is incompatible with our statement of faith. So they went on record as saying that this is not what we're going to teach at our seminaries. It's incompatible. Um, It was a powerful statement. I was thankful for it. Well, in response to that, a couple of high-level black pastors posted an op-ed with their decision to leave the SBC because of that. Uh, Charlie Dates of Chicago's Progressive Baptist Church and Ralph West of Houston's The Church Without Walls both criticized the SBC Seminary's president's declaration that critical race theory was incompatible with the denomination statement of faith. And so they posted some articles in Christianity Today. At the same time, the National African American Fellowship of Southern Baptist Convention also issued a response saying it was upset with the seminary's president's statement. Uh, Many of this group threatened to leave the SBC if we spoke out against CRT. So there's kind of a quagmire there leading up to what happened last year in Nashville. Uh, so, so there were some prominent African-American pastors that did not like uh, the seminary professors being so vocal against CRT. And so you can also go to Christianity Today and, and read that article as well. Um, Ed Stetzer was one who I think was the one that put that out. Now, there is a um, group of, I would consider more progressive, I'm not going to call them liberal, I would say more progressive Southern Baptist, and their, their website is called SBC Voices. SBC Voices, and they put out a response to the seminary president's statement on the incompatibility of CRT and intersectionality with the Baptist faith and message. So they put out a statement called Justice, Repentance, and the SBC, and most of those were the main contributors of SBC Voices. And then prospective presidential candidate Ed Litton signed it. And so um, you can go to uh, that You can look that up on Google. It's called Justice, Repentance, and the SBC. And also it came to mind that um, I have some friends that are church planners that receive funding from the North American Mission Board that are are in the know as far as what's going on at the North American Mission Board. And they were showing me some of the reports. They were showing me some of the videos, some of the training. And the North American Mission Board was including critical race theory in their church planning material. Um, they were kind of, in a, in a sense, being indoctrinated with um, CRT in church planning as a way to kind of move forward. And so, again, Resolution 9 was the gateway drug that opened up CRT into seminaries, into entities. And so um, two entities, or two, two areas, um, you know, we had already stopped giving to ERLC because it had gone so far left, but... I'm going to mention two other entities. The North American Mission Board has been influenced by progressive theology. So has Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in North Carolina. Both of those entities are more friendly towards CRT, more friendly towards egalitarianism, and things like that. And so... You can go to um, YouTube and, and find clips of students at Southeastern Seminary who talk a lot about how they were being indoctrinated with CRT at uh, Southeastern. 
So leading up to last year, June of last year, there was just momentum. There was things behind the scenes. There's there just a lot of pressure building to address critical race theory and intersectionality. And so last June, over 15,000 messengers attended the 2021 annual meeting in Nashville. It's, it was one of the highest attendance since like the mid-90s, since 1995. Many of those were first-time attenders, and they came specifically either to rescind Resolution 9 or to make a new resolution that would clearly denounce CRT as Southern Baptists. Well, thousands showed up, and um, there was a lot of things that were happening. So, Resolution 9 was a mistake. It should never have been passed. And it needed to be addressed in some way. And so, the messengers at the 2021 convention, especially Tom Askell and Tom Buck and others, um, and, and pastors all over the country, uh, basically wanted some type of statement or some type of definitive answer as to where the SBC stood on CRT. And so about a month before the meeting, there was a resolution that went public. And it was called Resolution on the Incompatibility of Critical Race Theory and Intersectionality with the Baptist Faith and Message. It's a wonderful document. I personally signed it. Here's the thing. It was signed over 13. 1,500 people signed it before it even went to the convention. That's unheard of. That's unprecedented. To have a resolution being signed by 1,300 people, Southern Baptists, rank-and-file Southern Baptists. And so it was presented to the Resolutions Committee. And now here's what you need to understand about the, the SBC. There is a Resolutions Committee. The Resolutions Committee receives resolutions. And they can do certain things with those resolutions. They can choose not to do anything with it. They can choose to reword it and craft it according to how they think it should be crafted, or they can present it as is and bring it to the floor for a vote. So they're pretty much in charge of what happens with those resolutions. Now, a resolution is not binding on any church. It's not like if the SBC passes a resolution, a church has to adopt it. Basically, what a resolution is, is it is a definitive statement of what the messengers at that particular annual meeting believe and stand for. And so Resolution 9, back in 2019, was where the messengers affirmed critical race theory and intersectionality as a helpful analytical tool. And so with 1,300 signatures on this new resolution hoping to be presented at the annual meeting in 2021, it was not accepted by the Resolutions Committee. Very, very surprising. Very, very unfortunate. Why in the world would you not, as a Resolutions Committee, accept a resolution that had 1,300 signatures and bring it to the floor for a vote? What they did was they brought forward a what I consider a weaker resolution. And here's why I consider it weaker. They did not specifically name or denounce critical race theory specifically. Now, the resolution that they presented was not necessarily bad at face value. It was called Resolution 2 on the Sufficiency of Scripture for Race and Racial Reconciliation. I don't have any problems with the resolution as it was presented, but there's a context. 
And the context is of what happened in 2019 with the passing of Resolution 9. And so it did not take into consideration the adoption of Resolution 9 in 2019. And that was one of the key reasons why many messengers traveled miles to attend this meeting. And here's another thing. Messengers would stand up and they would pay a lot of money to, like this one guy, I remember he was from Las Vegas. Las Vegas to Nashville's a pretty long way. You got to travel, whether by car or by plane. You got to get hotels, food. And, you know, so a lot of messengers traveled a lot all over the country and they want to be heard. And so they stood up to, to express their concern. And the platform basically shut a lot of conversation down. The platform was very condescending. The platform had an agenda and they were dare not going to let CRT be addressed. Tom Askell stood up and said that we need to actually rescind Resolution 9, and they called it out of order. And the reason they called it out of order was for, for some legal reasons. And to me, that, that was bunk, because if something is unbiblical, who cares? It's a resolution. We should have either rescinded Resolution 9, or some type of definitive statement needed to be made to condemn critical race theory and intersectionality. And so it was not done at the 2021 annual meeting. There was no explicit statement. Also, when it was on the floor to discuss it, the chairman of the resolutions committee, James Merritt, who was pretty condescending. Actually, I think he was rude. He was condescending. And I, and I think that he actually looked pretty, pretty foolish up there. And he would say things like, we can either build bridges or tear walls tear down walls or we can put up walls and, and destroy bridges and basically said if you cared as much about evangelism as you do CRT we would win this world to Christ tomorrow that's a very condescending quote to 15,000 messengers and so there is this ethos there is this culture among the SBC elite otherwise known as the platform that basically says you little peon church people that come from rural churches or, or, or areas, you just sit down and shut up. We know better. We're going to be condescending to you from the platform. You really don't have a voice. We, we know what we're doing, so please be quiet. Well, he was, James Merritt was very condescending. It, it, it was pretty um, discouraging. And so basically, he, he kind of railroaded not addressing CRT. And one of the big issues... At the, at the convention last year was that the world is watching. The world is watching. We want to make sure that we look good before the world. We don't, we don't, you know, the whole world's watching what we do. And so there seemed to be more concern about what the world, i.e. the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, the Atlantic, these, these progressive liberal outlets were thinking about Southern Baptists than doing the right thing. It was more concerned about the world's watching us, and so we need to be very careful what we do because the world's watching us as opposed to why don't we do what God calls us to do and do the right thing because it's biblical, not because a secular world is watching us. So the whole issue of the world watching us, the whole issue of critical race theory, the whole issue of this kind of uh, injection of Resolution 9 in a gateway drug of critical race theory and intersectionality being embraced. That, that was a huge problem. But here's another big, huge problem that happened last year at the annual meeting. It was the election of Ed Litton as president. Uh, th this, is, this is very concerning, very embarrassing. Um, number one, he's been soft on critical race theory anyway. I wasn't going to vote for him just because of his, his views, but also... Um, his wife, Kathy, has preached alongside of him 
on Sunday morning worship services. You can go to YouTube clips and, and, and find um, clips of, of Ed Litton sharing the stage with his wife where they both preached sermons. And so as a Christian, as a church, as elders, uh, we are complementarian in our theology. We understand 1 Timothy chapter 2 to be very clear that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man that there should be no ordination of women as pastors. Now, here's the big issue in the Southern Baptist Convention. Our Baptist faith and message says that the role of a pastor is reserved for men. It doesn't say the function. And so what's happening is, in our convention, they'll say, oh, no, we should not have women pastors. That goes against Scripture. But it's okay for them to preach or function as a pastor as long as they're under the authority of the elders or the authority of their husband. And so you're seeing a lot of churches begin to have women preaching in the pulpit. And so we see that as a clear violation of Scripture. Even at our church, we don't even allow women to teach mixed Sunday school classes between men and women. Only men can teach mixed classes. And so I think that's where most Southern Baptists are is in the area that we should not have women preaching. And so Ed Litton's wife had already shared the stage with him. And so that was concerning even before he was elected. Um, and so that was a concern. And then he made, on his website, there was a doctrinal statement about the Trinity. I, I'm going um, to give him a pass on that. I think that was part more of an oversight um, I, don't, I don't think that Ed Litton denies the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, but I, I would say this. One of the biggest things that I have a problem with Ed Litton is the plagiarism issue. Uh, the plagiarism issue. Uh, purposely, patently, flagrantly plagiarizing J.D. Greer's sermons, almost word for word, point for point, illustration for illustration. You can go on YouTube and also find those clips side by side of J.D. Greer, the former president of the convention, preaching a sermon on Romans, and then you see Ed Litton preaching the exact same sermon with the exact same wording and the exact same quotes and, and not giving um, any attribution to that. This bothers me very deeply, and here's why. I received my doctorate at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And every seminary in our convention takes very serious plagiarism. I mean, it, it, it is a huge issue. Every single source that I cited, I had to have backed up by documentation with the author, the, the book, the page number, the journal, all that stuff. I mean, I spent months and months, almost years, of doing research, backing up my doctoral dissertation on, on preaching. And so, and also as a professor at Colorado Christian University, almost every um, semester we have a plagiarist who will copy and paste from a website or you know, cut and paste from a website and put it in as if it's his or her own work. And so as one who's gone through academia, as one who's an instructor in academia, this is unacceptable. And he's never really come out and repented for plagiarizing. And so we have an unrepentant plagiarist as the president of the convention, and nobody wants to say anything about it. Nobody wants to call him out. Nobody wants to decry it. Nobody wants to say, hey, you probably should step down. Not one person in leadership of SBC has called for him to step down. 
And so I went to my elders when this was all happening, and I asked my elders, I said, listen, elders, <laughs> I have a question for you. If I was plagiarizing every one of my sermons and I was taking it from some other source and it wasn't my own material, what would you guys do? And they said, well, we'd probably rebuke you and possibly fire you unless you repented or we worked through that. So plagiarism of Ed Litton, and, and, and here's the problem. Nobody's, nobody's bothered by it. And as a matter of fact, uh, Southwestern Seminary has platformed him and they kind of went on damage control to get him out there uh, so that it could kind of be put to bed. But what's even more discouraging is even within that plagiarism, they're plagiarizing soft peddling of the issue of homosexuality. Um, J.D. Greer said a few w- years ago that the Bible whispers about sexual sin, and it's a lot louder on sins like pride. The Bible whispers on sexual sin. Well, do you know where he got that? He got that from a female pastor at the Village Church, Matt Chandler's church, who said the Bible whispers. And so Ed Litton copied that. And so you're starting to have leaders at the top of the SBC basically saying the Bible whispers about sexual sin. We, we don't want to be real vocal about sexual sin because after all uh, the world is watching and we don't want to be offensive because obviously this whole transgender issue homosexuality all these issues are big in our culture and if we are really vocal and we really come on strong about uh, transgender issues and homosexuality then you know we're not going to be winsome and we're not going to be received by the world so the bible whispers and so the very fact that the current president ed Litton is an unrepentant plagiarist, and, and thankfully, and this is what I predicted, I told my wife, I said, I bet you anything he's not going to run again, and I think he's going to make a statement, and th- this was back, in, you know, a f- couple months before he even announced he wasn't running again, I thought he would say something like, you know, my presidency's brought a lot of controversy to the convention, and in order to heal and bring about, you know, a little bit more healing, I think it's best that I not run again. He didn't say that. He said that he wanted to focus his attention more on rac- racial reconciliation and other ministries. And, and so, um, obviously, you know, he's, he's chosen not to run again. And, and normally, most SBC presidents have two terms. You, you kind of get the second term as kind of a, a courtesy. Nobody really runs against you. Uh, you have two terms. And so, you know, a lot of those things were happening last year. I mean, there's so much more what happened to Mike Stone last year and how he was treated and, and, and things like that. And so there's just a lot of issues percolating. Well, last year, during I, I wasn't able to attend the meeting in Nashville, but I was getting texts and I was getting messages from pastors as I was watching it online that were very discouraged, very concerned. Um, and so after it was over, um, I reached out to Josh Bice of G3 Ministries and just said, hey, you know, what, what's your view of what's going on here? Um, you know, is there an alternative network or what's going on? And at that time, um, he announced, you know, he told me that just, just wait in a few months, there'll be the G3 Church Network, of which we're a part now, the G3 Church Network. And obviously, Josh Bice of G3, they pretty much, as elders, decided to cut ties with the SBC and, and move forward. I also reached out to Tom Askell to find out, you know, what can we do? And um, I had a phone call with Tom and um, ended up inviting him to come out to preach um, at our church in September of last year, and he was scheduled to come out and preach and address these issues, but it was during that time 
um, then he, there was kind of an emergency in the church that I found out afterwards was the whole issue with Jared Longshore, uh, the associate pastor who had come out as a pedo Baptist and, and basically had to, to leave being on staff there. And so that prevented Tom from coming out and preaching. But in the meantime, in Colorado, um, just to kind of let you know, I was president of the Colorado Convention for two terms. Um, I've been on the executive board. Um, I've been in the state a long time. I know a lot of people have a lot of connections. I've kind of considered uh, one of the key leaders in our state. I had a bunch of pastors contacting me and, and saying, you know, what we're, we're about ready to walk out. We're about ready to leave the SBC. What can we do? And so in August of last year, I um, basically had a, a, a meeting some people were able to attend in person. We had it Zoom, probably about 16 to 17 concerned pastors um, all around the state uh, were concerned with the direction of the convention. Um, was it going liberal? Was it embracing CRT? Was it going woke? Um, all these different things. You know, what, what's, what's Colorado Convention doing? Where are we at? And so we just kind of discussed this. And, and so we were concerned about what was going on at the national level. So we said, you know what, we really need to find out what's going on at the state level because we had heard rumors that there were some churches that were having women preach. And so there was a big church in Boulder who um, was getting funding from the North American Mission Board whose wife spent half the time preaching on Sunday mornings. And thankfully that was addressed. And that church was defunded by the North American Mission Board. My question is, why in the world did anybody not know this? W were people okay with this? Uh, were leaders in our state convention okay with having a woman pastor as an SBC church preaching almost every other Sunday? And so uh, just kind of finding out that there was some, a lot of churches that were embracing CRT and these types of issues. And so what we did is I said, okay, here's the best way to find out where our state convention we need to put forth some resolutions at the annual meeting. And so our annual meeting was last October in Fort Collins. And so I said, let's put forth two resolutions, and we can jointly work on these. One is on the role of women um, and, and the whole issue of women preaching and women pastors and things like that. And let's do the other one, um, critical race theory and intersectionality. And we basically just borrowed the resolution that was signed by 1,300 messengers um, and so we presented those to the resolutions committee. Well, immediately I got pushback. Immediately I got called by pastors saying, why are you being divisive? Why are you, wh what are you doing here? Why are you trying to do this? You know, why is it such a big deal to have women pastors? Why are you so concerned about this? Um, what, you know, what's your end game? And I just said, well, here's the end. I don't know if I have an end game, but I do know that there's a lot of concerned pastors that are coming to me that are about ready to bail on the SBC. They're about ready to walk out because of the direction they're seeing. And, and we need to know where our state convention is. And the only way I know how to judge the temperature of the room, the only way I know how to judge where everybody's at is to put forth a resolution on the floor to be voted on so that messengers can say where they stand. And so we brought forth the resolution and uh, the resolutions committee gutted our resolution and they changed it. And they made it more liberal, more egalitarian. And so we had to stand up and we had to speak against it. And, and basically it passed. Our resolution passed um, affirming you know, a, a complementarian view of only women, uh, I mean only men being pastors and only men being preachers and things like that. And so it passed about 65 to 35. I, I was still kind of concerned that 35% of the messengers you know, didn't see that. The CRT one passed pretty, e you know, pretty easily. That one kind of probably was 85, 15. Uh, there were some people that spoke out against it. But there, you know, kind of was a progressive group in our state 
of younger urban church planners that are, you know, affiliated with the North American Mission Board um, that, you know, I, I could feel the tension in, in the room and I could feel the tension at the convention. Um, you know, and I, I knew people were saying things behind my back. People were saying I was becoming fundamentalist. Um, I was, you know, all these things about <laughs> just because I wanted to stand on the truth. And so we basically made a decision um, last December on how we were going to do our budget. And so we have traditionally given through the cooperative program, you know, through our state convention, and then obviously we, we don't give to ERLC, but we made a decision this year to give to what's called the allocation budget. We're giving the same percentage that we were giving to our state convention, but that money that they send on to Nashville that's divvied up between all the different entities, we have designated who we are giving it to and who we're not giving it to. And I'll be very honest and tell you who we're not giving to. We're not giving a dime to the North American Mission Board. We're not giving a dime to Southeastern Seminary. We're not giving a dime to ERLC. There's only four people, four, four entities we're giving to. We're giving to the International Mission Board. We're giving to Southern Seminary. We're giving to Midwestern Seminary. And we're giving to Guidestone um, and, 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 and Disaster Relief. But we don't want our money to go to these entities that are pushing CRT, egalitarianism, and things like that. So, so this is the journey that we've been on as a church. And so here we are about less than a month heading up to the annual meeting in Anaheim. And so um, there's been a lot of things happening in the recent you know, history with um, this whole issue with Tom Buck, pastor out of Texas, and the way his wife has been treated with the release of this rough draft of a, of a book she was going to write that was without her permission. There's the sexual abuse task force and, and a lot of things that are going on. Recent comments about um, abortion. Thankfully, last year, one of the good things that came out of last year was, again, the resolutions committee did not want to touch this abortion resolution with a 10-foot pole. They just basically didn't bring it forward to the convention to vote on. Uh, Bill Askell, Tom's brother, uh, stood up with a baby in his hand and, and, and asked that it be brought to the floor. And thankfully, last year, the SBC adopted the most conservative, the most comprehensive um, pro-life, anti-abortion resolution that the SBC's ever had. And it was overwhelmingly adopted. And so, you know, abortion's going to be an issue. So we as a church and our church members are looking at, like, the deal with the SBC? Are they going soft on abortion? Are they going soft on complementarianism? Are they embracing woke theology? Well, you know, what's going on? There seems to be a progressive drift. Now, here, here's where I need to be very careful. I do not think the SBC is full-blown liberal, but I think it's drifting that way. And if things don't change, I think it's going to slide that way very quickly. I think it's going to slide that way very quickly. And so I think it's very important that things get changed at the annual meeting in Anaheim. And so Tom Askell is running for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I am putting my full support behind him. I, as a messenger from our church, am going to wholeheartedly vote for him. I go with anticipation to the annual meeting in Anaheim to make sure that we can change the direction because let me be real honest with you if, if things don't go the way that I think and our church and our elders think at the SBC level here in, in Anaheim in, in, you know next month we're going to have to make some hard decisions as a church I don't know if we're ready to pull the plug yet the way Josh Bice has at G3 and his church in Georgia um, I think the SBC is worth fighting for the question is do you want to be in for the fight and so 
um, I would ask you, if you are a Southern Baptist and you're a listener, if, if, it, if at all you can make it to the annual meeting. I know it's in Anaheim, of all places, expensive Anaheim, right next to Disneyland. Um, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's in California, and gas prices and airline and all that kind of stuff, it makes it very difficult. But if, if any way possible, you can go, um, just even if you can come in on that Tuesday to vote uh, for Tom Askell, that would be great. Um, but please be praying. The best thing we can be doing is praying for our convention. Um, pray for your state convention. Uh, whatever state you're in, you have state convention executive board, you have state convention officers, you have a state convention staff. That's where a lot of the decisions are made, um, especially with church planting and the North American Mission Board and how that stuff is done in your state. Pray for the seminaries. Pray for the national entities. Um, if something doesn't change quickly, I'm afraid we're going to see a, a downgrade like the Spurgeon downgrade controversy, we're going to see things slide into progressivism very quickly, which would be very sad because um, the conservative resurgence back in 1979 and all through the 80s and up through the mid-90s basically uh, saved our denomination from becoming liberal. I mean, you hear stories. I hear stories from my father who was in seminary back in the 70s, and, I, and you hear uh, stories about what happened at Southern Seminary and other seminaries back in the 70s and 80s. Um, just how liberal it was, and, and it was able to, to change, and we had the conservative resurgence, and, and everything, you know, kind of got back to, to its conservative roots, and it, thankfully, you know, the SBC was the only major denomination in America that did not split in two or go liberal. Um, you know, there was the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship that formed, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, like a major split, and so there are some very serious days ahead for the Southern Baptist Convention. And you may be listening, well, why do we care about the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, here's why you should care about the Southern Baptist Convention. As the Southern Baptist Convention goes, so goes the rest of evangelicalism. The SBC has enormous, enormous influence. The SBC seminaries educate one-third of all seminary students. We have one of the largest mission forces on the foreign field. We have a huge North American church planting um, apparatus. There, there's just a lot of influence that the SBC has over conservative Protestant evangelicalism in America. And if the SBC goes down a trajectory, it's a harbinger or it's a, um, it could be like a, everybody's waiting to see what happens with the SBC so that if the SBC goes so, a certain way, it gives permission for all these other groups because it's, you know, it's the largest and most visible and, and, and you know, the most conservative large denomination. So we really, really need to be in prayer for what's going on. And so I know that this has been more of a kind of a historical look at the past few years, where we are as a church, where we are as elders, where the SBC is. Um, and these are just some things that, that you as a concerned um, layperson or pastor listening to this really need to know about. And so I covered your prayers for the Southern Baptist Convention. I covered your prayers for Tom Askell and Vody Bauckham. Uh, we as a church have been praying specifically for these men. Um, they're getting attacked, especially Tom Askell. Um, he's taking a strong stand, especially on abortion, on complementarianism, on CRT. And, and Tom's been consistent. I've been following Tom all the way back since the late 90s when I first became a Calvinist. Um, I reached out to Tom back then uh, to get help in understanding the doctrines of grace back when I was a youth pastor. And so 
I've known Tom and Founders Ministries for over, you know, over 20 years now, and Tom has been consistent. He's never changed or fluctuated. He's been teaching what he's been teaching all along, and so he's a man of conviction. He's a man of courage. Uh, he's a man of integrity. Um, he is a pastor of a local church that's not real large. He's not a megachurch pastor. He's not part of the SBC elite apparatus, um, and I think that's why people are threatened by him. He can't be bought. He can't be influenced. He's not part of the club. Um, he's an outsider, a vocal, strong outsider, but I think he's the man that we need to lead us into these difficult times ahead. So pray for Tom Askell. Pray for the SBC. Pray for, just pray for your own church and your participation. Um, if you find this helpful, you, you, you may not know of any of the stuff that's been going on, um, and, and this may be the first time you've heard of these things, but um, it's very, very important to be praying for any conservative, evangelical, Protestant denomination or group in America that is holding to the truth. And so I'm thankful for all of the brothers and sisters in Christ we have um, here, especially in North America, that are holding fast to the truths of Scripture, standing strong in the midst of a godless secular culture. Um, pray for your pastor to stand strong. Pray for your elders, your leaders to stand strong. Uh, more than ever, we need men of courage to stand in pulpits and to lead churches to be faithful to God's Word. Well, until next time, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.